Hello and welcome to another edition of Hit the Lights podcast. I've got a very special guest with me today, somebody who I've wanted to have a chat with for quite a long time, Adrian Davey. How are we doing? Very good, Gary. Very good. I mean, it has been a while, hasn't it? We've been trying to arrange things, different dates that don't seem to work for either of us. So it's, it's amazing. The stars have aligned and here we are. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I appreciate you obviously taking the time to come and sit with me. I know you're you're a very busy man on, on all fronts. Well, you're always trying to keep busy. Um, I'm currently going through, as I said, the level five qualification at the moment. So I'll be qualified teacher when I finish this. So I'm looking to have that done by the end of next year, all things considered. It's just so much to learn, so much to do. And obviously there's the videos and social media and trying to do my job and be a parent and a husband and all that kind of stuff as well. So as you know yourself, there's never enough hours in the day, is there? No, exactly. Yeah. So if, if we go back um, to the beginning of your your story then what was your journey into the electrical world well I didn't actually join the electrical world till I was 21 I mean same as every other child at the moment who's just got their GCSEs you know you're told what to do where to go at school what to do by parents you know what to revise all this kind of stuff and when you hit 16 they kind of say to you right it's your choice now what you're going to do and you haven't got a clue what you're going to do so I remember the conversation, I actually spoke to my mate and asked him what he was going to do. And he said, oh, I'm going to be a mechanic. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I quite fancy that. So I ended up doing a mechanical apprenticeship for, for three years. And I didn't finish the course because, again, at 16, 17 years old, I was more interested in girls, uh, weekend, getting drunk, partying. I wasn't really into the college and learning at that point. Um, so I fell off the course. Um did various jobs along the years working in shops, did some welding for a bit. I quite enjoyed that. Um, and my, my defining moment, I'm ashamed to say, I was working in a petrol station and it was supposed to be one of those infill jobs, you know, just a bit in between. And I ended up being there a year. And the manager obviously handed me my paycheck and said, oh, you know, you've been here a year. And I was like, Jesus, I need to get out of here. And I just opened up the paper, there, which is the evening Argus where we are, um, looked through there for the jobs page and I saw this advert and I thought to myself, right, I want to earn about 40, 50 grand. That's what I'd like to earn. So I saw this advert for electrician and the advert was for the local college, which at the time was Brighton uh, City College, Brighton and Hove. And the advert said earn 40 to 50 grand, which is exactly what I was thinking that I'd like to earn. And it said be an electrician, do this course. And the course was the City and Guilds 2360 part one which I didn't know anything about that at the time because nobody explains this stuff to you. So I just assumed that that qualification would be the qualification and all routes would be equal and I'd end up with the same thing as everybody else. And um, I also thought it would help me find a job. So I enrolled on that, paid for it out of my own pocket. Uh, It was an evening course, Tuesdays, Thursdays for three hours. So I think it's between six and nine, if I remember rightly. And within two weeks I've got a job but the college never explained to me that you could transfer onto the apprenticeship so even though I was working for a company that did domestic commercial industrial they had you know about five six seven guys working for them quite a sort of medium company broad range no one ever explained that I could do an apprenticeship so I I carried on for three years oblivious and that's unfortunate (laughs) it was unfortunate (laughs) and I got to the end of that and um you know, we all shook hands, said goodbye and, you know, pats on the back. And bearing in mind there were 40 people or so at the start of the class and it was only standing room only. By the end of three years, there was only sort of 10, 12 people by the end of it. So, you know, nothing was ever said. And I found out three years ago that I'm not even qualified because 
the mod they hadn't finalized all the modules or something like that so i don't know if you know the city and guilds 2360 so basically in the day you used to just get every time you did a, um, a unit out of the uh, qualification you got a certificate so you know you did health and safety you got a certificate you did science you got a certificate etc so i'm getting all these certificates thinking this is fantastic you know lining them all up and 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 you know got all these certificates and thought that was it but i didn't realize there's a, a final module you know final completion certificate which i never got which was unfortunate but um turns out i didn't have the test and inspection module from year from the second part the level two uh, and I didn't have the, I think it was the um, installation module. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but there's like a, an installation part. I didn't have that either. So there's two modules missing out of the whole thing. And I've spoken to a lot of people and they're in the same boat. So I don't know whether it was a qualification issue or a city and guilds issue or or what, but there seems to be quite a few people in that boat where the city and guilds 2360 is involved. So there was no way of retrospectively adding those qualifications in or, you know, backdating if you'd achieve, let's say, achieved the 2391 subsequently. There was, there was nothing. Could, yeah, exactly. So there was nothing there was nothing that could be done on that front. Uh, it was so long ago. The qualification no longer exists. And this we're talking 15 years later, Gary, you know, mm. before I even realised. Um, so oh, that's a fair point. <laughs> it's so frustrating to know because I could have easily have filled it in or if I'd known anything. You know, I'm really cross with the tutors because somebody should have said something, you know, mm. and, and put their hands up and explain the situation. And that's why I'm so passionate about ensuring that electrical apprentices these days get what they've come for. You know, it's our job as an industry to ensure that anyone that enrolls on any course gets the product that they think they're getting at the end, you know. Mm. Um, and I think it's a real problem with the industry that we have. There's so many routes, there's so many avenues, there's so many training providers, there's so many ways that they can get it wrong or screw it up. Um, and, you know, it's not just training providers, obviously, apprentices uh, create a lot of problems themselves as well but you know it just seems like the problem hasn't gone away right. so I mean I, quali I left I, I say qualified I always say go to say that and then have to you know correct myself because <laughs> I left the college in 2004 and we're now in 2000 you know 2022 and it's still going on mm. so when you when you left that did you get into any scenarios I, I would assume I mean this is obviously before I even entered the industry because I didn't come in until like 2008 um, but with like I'm assuming there would have been some sort of JIB gold card arrangement did did that not um, well, obviously it didn't but it didn't pick up the anomalies of the unit credits and all that sort of stuff I knew nothing about any of that no one explained yeah. to me about the portfolio no one explained about the AM2 um, in like I say I finished in 2004 um, and in two I went out on my own uh, shortly after that you know I worked for a few people and then went out on my own afterwards um, and then in 2005 the work that I was doing which was loft conversions at the time the building inspector said right you need to be registered with the NIC EIC now so I called them up and spoke to somebody on the phone and they said oh um, okay you need to do this 2391 qualification and I said well how much is that and they said it was about a grand at the time let's say I know it was a lot of money, plus the days off work, it was, you know, quite an intensive course, five, seven days, something like that. I was like, oh, what really? You know, is, is there is there something else? What, what other options are there? And and the lady said, well, you can go on the kitchen fitters course and you can, that that's a two day course and it's 500 pounds. So it's half the cost. And, you know, that will give you what you need to enroll 
for part P. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'll, I'll do that then, you know, and, and that was it. That was the only thing that's ever come up. No one's ever questioned my qualifications. I've never been asked to show a card. Um, that's, yeah. That's yeah, no, I'm, well, yeah, it's, it's very understandable, isn't it, when you, you're you in the des- domestic market as to how that doesn't happen, that, that you know, that verification. I think, yeah, maybe the... Um, competent person scheme in that instance may maybe let you down as well in terms of advising you the do's and do nots well i think so i mean again it's a bit of a numbers game for the competent person scheme i feel they they, they need members to survive so it's more about membership um, than it is about holding standards in my opinion uh, and i think they're letting the the homeowners down because if i was a homeowner and i didn't know how this industry worked i would be absolutely shocked to know the state of the industry and these people that are turning up to my house may have only even done 18 days of training um and not really done an apprenticeship or anything like that it, i'd be horrified mm, no definitely so y- you said you you went out on your own quite quickly then you set up your own your own business how did that go well it was a steep learning curve so i set my company up in 2005 um it was a steep learning curve and yeah that first year probably lost some money. My terms and conditions on my quotations got a bit more extensive, but it was all good experience. And I think, you know, you, you learn to swim pretty fast when you're thrown in at the deep end. So uh, I knew the business model that I wanted to have. I wanted to be reliable because a lot of people complain about electricians not turning up, giving quotes, all that kind of stuff, doing road, you know, jobs, bad jobs, and you know, then hearing about it later on. So I knew that that wasn't the road, road that I wanted to go down. So I was quite lucky. Um, I had some good employers uh, around me. I say subcontractors more like. Um, and I used to just do you know, loft conversions and building just general domestic houses, you know, rewires, all that kind of stuff. So I was just very lucky. No, I mean, yeah, obviously relationships is always key, isn't it? When you're starting on a on a business journey as to who you're associating and, and affiliating yourself with. I think I would agree as well. Reliability, you know, in the, I was only a went on the tools very briefly to kind of look at the domestic market again myself but reliability was the thing that I was the hallmark of, of me not necessarily the cheapest but I will be reliable you know um, but yeah um, so at, you obviously are now into teaching how, how did that progress from your business did you um, become disenfranchised with working on, on the tools in that way or unhappy very, very much so Gary I mean we talk about Part P coming in 2005 and the decline of the industry since then, uh, and it it has very much been like that from what I've seen around me. You know, when I first started training uh, and getting qualified, or not as the case might be, but the, the you would come across the odd job that wasn't up to spec. You know, you could people used to take a lot, you know, um, pride in their work, so everything was neatly installed that I used to come across and. You know, you could sort of tell when a DIYer or a road trader had had a go, but, it, you know, they were few and far between. And then over the years, it started becoming more commonplace. And I think it's now got to a situation where the DIY standard has become the norm. So people don't see the difference. They don't understand the difference of, of, of what a good installation looks like. So over the years, I've seen quite a few um, problems. I've lost out on quite a few jobs because of you know, being undercut by people that clearly don't know what they're doing or what they're quoting for. And 
the the client always says well they've got the same badge as you you know they're registered part p registered and then that kind of muddies the water a bit and i tried reporting a few people um, and nothing ever came of that they always stayed reported and then my defining moment was i think it was around 2018 i came across one of my customers who i've known for about 10 years i've done the odd job for them lovely family um the last time i'd seen them they were talking about buying a new build and i said to them, whatever you do do not buy a new build they're not wired as they should be they're lashed in you know actually thrown in it's all done on price you'll end up with loads of problems and and they didn't listen to me and they spent 1.8 million on this house and I'm going to get me wrong from from the road it looks beautiful you know um inside it looks beautiful but there's quite a few problems within the whole house I mean the whole build has got issues how it got signed off by building control I don't know but I'm walking up the driveway and well that's not right oh that doesn't look right standing at the door Jesus that doesn't look right so we come in and, you know, I'm thinking, well, don't start straight away because obviously you don't want to make yourself look bad. So we go to the garden and he shows me these outside lights and they're the bollard type. And we're, I'm having a look at them and take one off. Uh, the the armour's not earthed. The armour's not terminated into anything. They're literally just stripped off. And then you've got basic insulation showing electrical tape around that. And then it goes into the into the connector blocks. Mm. So that's not right. So then we start following that back and I'm pointing out all these problems. Um, literally, they must have just lifted up the um, the grass that had been laid, the turf, and laid the cable underneath it. And then you put the grass back down. They love a nice snake. Exactly. It was like that. Exactly like that. So anyway, we're looking at that. I'm talking him through it all. And he's like, you know what? I'd, I've not been happy with, with what's happened here. Can you can you just come and have a look at our wet room towel rail? We keep getting electric shocks off it. So instantly alarm, alarm bells are ringing. We go up to this family bathroom, this wet room, and you can literally stand underneath the shower and put your hand to the side and hold on to with, with one whole hand, you know, hold on to this towel wrap. So I get my voltage indicator out and I test between that and the shower control. So I'm not even testing to true earth. I'm testing to the, you know, the shower controls and there's 70 volts there. And I'm, I'm shocked. And I say to this guy, you know, there's, there's 70 volts here. He said, oh, well, the electrician said there was a small amount of voltage there, but not to worry about it. So I asked him to explain to me what this guy did. And he said, what all he did was put his volt stick on it. Uh, we, you know, he, he described what a volt stick was. And I said, well, that's just a volt stick. That's not going to tell you. <laughs> Apparently, he put this volt stick on the meter. and said, oh, yeah, there's a small voltage there, but don't worry about it. So then I'm questioning this. I go down to the consumer unit. I switch off the main switch before removing the cover and the, you know, the whole installation goes dead and I open it up, put my voltage indicator in there through safe isolation and it's all still live. So then apart from the neutral, so then I look at the closer look and this guy's bypassed the main switch. He's taken a, a, a sort of fly lead out the back of the supply, come round to the load side and bypass both RCDs on this board. So the RCDs aren't connected, okay? And then start looking closer, um, and the CPCs missing from circuits, and they're putting connector blocks and taped up and just pushed to the back. And this shower circuit, well, the, the um, not shower circuit, the um, towel rail circuit was on the upstairs sockets, and the CPCs for that circuit were disconnected. 
So I put them back in again and nothing really happened because there's no RCD problem. So then I'm like, oh, Christ, I can't switch all this back on again. So I, I phoned Dan Jackson at the time because um, I was like, I can't leave it like this. So I phoned up Dan Jackson and I said, Dan, I really need some advice because how bad this is, I can't walk away from this. And you know, when you just need that little pat on the back just to say, just do what, it, you know, you've got to get this done. You can't walk away from it. You're, you're correct. So he just said, yeah, you've got to get it done. So I spent five hours there putting, yeah. it, putting this board right, um, switched it all on and it was, it was fine. It stayed on with everything all connected in as it should. Um, and then I phoned, I spoke to the E5 guys and um, Paul Skirm very kindly came along and did an EICR on the whole building because I didn't want it to be me that did it because I didn't want it to come across as a disgruntled, you know, competitive competitor mm. electrician. Um, I wanted somebody completely independent to come down and assess it. So he did that for me, tore it to pieces. It was the worst install that I think he's probably ever seen. Uh, he might even still say that. Um and long and the short of it is that we showed it to everybody and anybody. Um, no one was interested. And when you say anybody and everybody, um, I assume you had the contractor's details from, from that. And yeah. Um, so, so, so we started off with the contractor. Nothing. We started off then with Stromer because they were registered with Stromer. Um, Stromer throughout maintained complete radio silence. Um, I emailed in that. The customer emailed in, they heard nothing back. We'd phone up and they would say, no, you need to do it in writing. So we'd do it in writing and nothing happened. Then I contacted Napit, who I was registered with at the time. Um, they contacted Stroma and so, you know, said you need to sort this out and have a chat with this person. Still nothing materialised. Spoke to building control. Not our problem. You need to speak to the Compton person scheme. Tried HSE. They said it's, no, it's not our problem. You need to speak to building control or trading standards. So I tried to trading standards. They weren't interested. They said it's either building control or the competent person scheme. So it just it just went round and round and round. And for a year, the owner and myself tried to get, you know, something, something put into place. And yeah. for me, that was the moment that I realised that Part P was a complete farce. Right. In OK. It was just... You know, it's there to protect people. It's there when things go wrong that you're supposed to get a claim on these things. We weren't able to do any of that. Um, and the electrician's still trading. The house is still there. Um, in the end, we managed to get the building contractor, not the electrician, the building contractor, because that again, this is the other thing they don't tell you um, at college, which is what I try to explain to our apprentices now is that the, the law is a very strange thing. You know, you've got obviously criminal law and you've got um, not public law, but it's like um, contractual law, something like that. Yeah. And because the, the electrician was employed by the contractor, we couldn't go direct to the electrician. We had to go through the contractor. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. The employer route. Exactly. You can't you can't jump people you've got to go down the, the route of contract so eventually the with Paul Skirm's report the the contractor did we quoted they well I quoted they wouldn't they didn't want me to do it because it came out about 20 grand to get this place sorted okay um, they got their own ECA they, they, they called up someone else from the ECA who came out and done it and 
it's one of those again one of those things that annoys me about this is that obviously when you do an EIC a new installation it's supposed to comply with the regs I then did a report scale and we did this EICR okay we highlighted everything that didn't comply obviously C1 C2 C3s further investigation you know li listed everything and all they dealt with was the C1s and C2s so all the C3s and further investigations I don't know whether they got looked at but yeah they and that annoys me because again it should comply it should be made to comply no definitely yeah brand new installs it's inexcusable isn't it um so it's at that point then that that was the tipping point for you and well then you decided... I started looking at getting out yeah and then I thought you know what this is getting a bit of a joke now I'm fed up with being undercut by people I'm fed up with People saying, oh, you've quoted a grand for the job, but we can get it for 500. Um, fed up with the badges, realised that Part P isn't what it's up, cracked up to be. And I had an apprentice at the time who was with the training provider that I'm with. And he said that, you know, they, they needed an assessor. So I went along, spoke to Craig O'Neill that was working there at the time because I'd been talking to Craig, obviously, because he was my apprentice's tutor. Um, yeah, and then they said, okay, apply, and you know, applied, did the interview, and that's that. So, what made you choose that? It just that that was it. You just through through conversation, or was there any deliberation? I mean, if if it hadn't have been for teaching, would you have exited the industry? Do you think? Well, I've always wanted to get into teaching electrical apprentices because I feel that I have a lot to offer, um, and quite a few sort of technical skills and stuff that I'd built up over the years. Um, and, you know, seeing what I could see out on the tools, I thought maybe that's my calling in life is to try and pass these things over and improve the standard from within. So I did try applying for um, Brighton City College, um, which was now Brighton Met. I tried applying there, never heard anything back. And so the thought was always there. Um, and this just sort of fell into place, really. I was quite lucky, but I'm very, really lucky where I am because they actually try to do things properly, you know, and they have the learners' interests at heart and we all we have a good team. Um, so, yeah, it's good. It's worked out well. So, one, one, obviously, you said um, pretty early doors. One of the things was getting that 40 to 50K. Like, is the salary a, a massive issue? Because it's always widespread conversations about teachers not being paid enough. Was that ever a, a massive factor for you or was the, the lure just too good? I'm lucky that my wife is a teacher. So she's always been the main breadwinner <laughs> since we've been together. You know, when you're self-employed, um, sometimes it's feast or famine. You've got loads of work or you haven't got a lot of work. Sometimes people bump you. I've been bumped a few times. You know, so I talk about this experience to the apprentices to make sure that, you know, you understand that sometimes things go wrong. Um some people do it deliberately and some people don't do it deliberately, but you have to be aware and, and see the signs. So I try to get that all through to them. Um, but, yeah, she's always been the breadwinner. So I was lucky that I could afford to take the pay drop. Um, I don't think it was too much of a drop because, unfortunately, I'm my own worst enemy when, I'm, when I had my business. Is I do a lot of things for free. I hate charging people. Um, I feel guilty <laughs> of charging people. And, you know, look at the price and think, oh, do you know, oh, that's too much. And I always end up chicken bits off. And, you know, don't worry about that, especially for the um, the older generation. You know, we used to do a lot of work in a, in a not care home, um, like a residential, old people's residential yeah. home. But they were all self-contained units. And I would end up, don't worry about it. You know, in fact, one lady, I said, oh, give me a drink. Don't wait, just give me a drink. Because I think some light bulbs are blown or something like that. Or lamps, should we say, lamps blow. 
And I said, oh, you go, give me a drink. She got out of purse and she handed over two pounds. <laughs> <laughs> go and get a can of Coke. <laughs> yeah, so so when, when she was obviously, uh, the last time she paid for anything like that, obviously that was a lot of money. So, but um, yeah, it's that was my problem. So for me, it wasn't too much of a pay rise, at, uh, to pay cut, should I say, um, to be honest with you. So um, I'm actually earning more now than what I did on the tools, I think. And also, it's nice to have that regular income each month without having to worry where where it's coming from. Because the amount of arguments my wife and I used to have at Christmas, because Christmas is when you're self-employed, is the leanest period. You know, everyone wants everything finished before Christmas so they can get the tree up. Come January, they're all spent their money. <laughs> they don't have much kicking around. So January was sometimes quite dry. So I'd be saying to my wife, you know, don't spend too much, don't spend too much. And we'll be setting budgets and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, the amount of arguments we had, it was uh, unreal. Well, at least you don't have that anymore. We don't have that anymore, <laughs> which is good. And I get paid for holidays, which is even better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, paid holidays is a nice perk of being employed, isn't it? Absolutely. Um. So what is it you've come to love about teaching then? Obviously, um, it's something you do with a passion now. Do you know what? I actually, I lo- I've always liked helping people. You know, if, if somebody is willing to help themselves, I would do anything for them. You know, there's there's an apprentice at the moment who asked me how I set up my company, asked for some advice. So I, I gave him about an hour and a half of my time on Zoom uh, the other week because um, he's thinking about going out on his own. I explained everything you need to think about, you know, insurance. Do you need to be registered or not? You know, um, a van. I gave him my quotation template to use. You know, all these little things that people don't realise that's involved when you first start up. Um, and then I went to the hairdressers, as you can see, a couple of days ago, and they were talking about their consumer unit. Now, I've got no interest in doing that kind of work anymore. I'm, I'm more interested in building up my learning techniques and all that kind of stuff for the classroom. So I thought of him and I've called him and said, look, if you want, I'll come and help with this job. You know, come along. We'll talk. I'll talk through the quotation and show you how I would do it. Mm. You can do the job. And then when you've done it, you can test it. I'll then come back and ensure that it's all done properly and up to um, up to spec. And, you know, it'd be good experience for you. So and, and I'll do that for, for free. You know, I don't want anything for it because, you know, I want to help him make something of himself. And I've always been like that. Hence why I've, I haven't got any money when I was self-employed, <laughs> Gary, you know, you to give too much. So, But the, the best thing about teaching is that if you get the teaching right, and you inspire people to be the best that they can be, and you set a t- you set the level that you're expecting them to sort of try and reach. They may not reach it, but as long as they've given their best, then that's that's positive. And when they do well in their exams, you know you're all high fiving and everyone feels good. Um, it's it is the most rewarding job that I've ever had, uh, hands down. And when they succeed, you succeed. And like I said, I work for a really good training provider, so everybody's always you know congratulating each other nice job well done even the directors you know they, they take the time to you know shake your hand and tell you you're doing well um, and that speaks volumes to me I've heard that other training providers aren't quite the same but you know I'm, I'm, I'm lucky no that's good it's always good to have a, a support network behind what you do isn't it 100% I mean your, your business is only as good as the people that you employ and if you continually, you know, beat them down and, and set un, un, uh, an unachievable targets and, you know, treat them like dirt, then they're going to leave you or they're going to do a really rubbish job. If you look after people 
and do the right and do right by them. Obviously, you've got to get the right people, somebody that can appreciate that you're doing the right thing for them. Because equally, I when I had my uh, business, I tried employing people, and I thought, yeah, if I treat them right, they'll treat me right. But not everyone's got that ethos, you know. So I learned a few, <laughs> a few things yeah. there as well. Yeah. So how, how do you inspire a, a classroom then? What, what is it you do that can get the you know the 16 year olds all the way up to I don't know let's say some of the adult learners how do you get how do you get their juices flowing <laughs> yeah well again um I guess it's, it's finding out who wants to actually be there again we're lucky with, with our recruitment process um we're very selective about the the people that we put on the course you know they, they make sure that they actually have a willingness to learn you can't teach somebody that doesn't want to learn so if you've got a 16 year old that's fresh out of school that doesn't know what they want to do i mean i'm thinking of myself at that age um it's very difficult to inspire somebody to try hard um so you know we, we have a bit of a vetting process we invent the employers as well um and the aim is to put people that have a willingness to learn um, and we don't have a, a classroom full of 16 year olds we try to balance that off so you'll have some 16 some 20 some 30 some 40 i mean one guy must have been his 60s that we've had coming through there and the wealth of knowledge that he brings to the classroom is amazing and once you can get all of those people talking and communicating and explaining their you know different um experiences um and peer assessing each other that that's where the joy of learning comes in because it's not so much about what i do as as much it's more about showing them what they can do that's what no I think. definitely i, I mean that, that's a that's a, a a good touch i think you know getting the varied age groups and experience life experience in the room is um a nice touch that's not one I, that's new to me but i think when i think back to my class I was there quite late as a 19 year old. I wasn't straight in at 16 um, and felt like I was amongst children, if you know what I mean. And yeah. um, there, was, there was still some immaturity in the room. But then on the other hand, we did have, you know, adults even older than myself, you know, sat there doing the apprenticeship. So, yeah, I think it's definitely a, that's a, that's a nice piece. Um, well, I'm also lucky that our, our, the training provider that we have, I mean, my head of department's amazing. He's a, he's a man after my own heart and I've got nothing but respect for him. And, you know, I hear about horror stories in, in other colleges, in FE colleges, for example, because they're all government run and they don't want to kick anybody off the course. So you end up with these 16 year olds that kind of run riot. Whereas we set a very clear message that, you know, we're here to help you achieve this qualification you know if you want to learn then you need to take it upon yourselves um you know we're not here to spoon feed you and if they don't play ball then we go down the disciplinary road um you know they give a verbal warning and the you know the a formal warning and then like a written warning and then a final written warning and you know we go down the process and if someone's not willing to change then they're not good for the classroom they're just disruptive and you know we give them every opportunity um, and most people come round. Sometimes you get the odd person that just isn't ready at that point. They they may be ready later on in life. I mean, you know yourself, Gary. Life life is a journey. Not everyone's ready when you want them to be ready, and you have to wait for them. You know, I read a very uh, poignant point in one of these books that I'm reading. I think it was um, Jeff Petty's Teaching Today, Learning Today, or something. Train, uh, is it Teaching Today. Teaching Today, yeah. And it basically, it gave two examples. Uh, and, and I'm paraphrasing here and I'm probably getting it all wrong, but it said, you know, Billy's 
20 years old and he's literally just qualified and then you've got Sally who's 100 not 100 it's a bit exaggerating 70 years old let's say and she's only just qualified but it says that underneath that these people qualified in the time that it took them to achieve the qualification so you know basically they qualified when they were ready and you can't put a time limit on these things people are ready when they're ready and now, again, this is one of the problems that I have with the education system that we have in this country is that it's like a conveyor belt. You know, people get on and you have to hit those markers every year and you, you push through whether you're ready or not. And I talked to my, my wife who does you know, secondary school and she's got 30 kids in a class to deal with. I'm very lucky. We only have 12 to 14 in a class. We have very small classes, which makes it more manageable. But she has 30 in a class. And I say to her, how, how do you deal with that? And she says, we're only there for crowd control, really. All I can do is just teach to the majority, um, do the best that I can on the day. That's it. You can't teach everyone in that class. It's just there's just too many. And the education system then just pushes them on to the next year, onto the next year, onto the next year. They come out with GCSEs that are worthless. You know, sometimes we get people that have got all the GCSEs and then you sit them in a classroom and throw some maths at them and they haven't got a clue what you're talking about you know and you think well how did that happen <laughs> yeah but it's it's i don't think the education system takes into the into account that people have a journey that they have to go through you know mm. i suppose the work as well you you're one of the five days a week as well you know what they're experiencing outside of college is probably uh, you know it's an 80 percent of the factor of what they are learning and and developing themselves um do you find you're over the three let's say the three year period of those who start the journey are you seeing um, a good percentage of them finish the journey i'm not sure what the national statistics are but are you, are you... shocked at the national statistics because i've asked in the freedom of information <laughs> what the national statistics are for that and it is pretty poor um again that comes down to the individual training provider uh, um, and if their recruitment process is bad and they're getting the wrong people in the classroom that aren't going to be able to succeed then, then they're not. They're going to drop off the course before they get to the end. Our recruitment process is pretty good. We're always reflecting on it and trying to improve on it, and you know, get it watertight, which you'll never achieve, but you've got to aim for it, you know. Um, and we end up with uh, more people surviving to the end. I mean, obviously, life happens, right? You know, people's parents die, um, or they get sick. I mean, get cancer. You know, even even 16 year olds can get cancer, you know, anyone could get cancer. And and sometimes people do just naturally drop off the course or realise it wasn't what they thought it would be. Um, it's especially hard for people that are looking to change careers, Gary, because, you know, an apprentice's first wage last time I looked was four pounds 80 an hour for the first year. And, you know, that's a that's a big pay cut, cut to drop if you're sort of, you know, got a mortgage and kids and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we've had a couple of people that didn't realise how hard it was going to be. So, again, one of the things that we talk about now when they sign up to us is, can you afford to do this course? You know, have you been realistic with your facts and figures? Mm. Yeah, no, there certainly is a, there's probably a lot of misinformation out in, out there on the industry, isn't there, in terms of what you can expect to be paid and the anticipation of, of salary, etc. Yeah, I mean, one of my, one of my ideas for the industry really is, I mean, not so much for the electrical industry, maybe for the um, education industry is that, you know, it's all well and good telling a 16 year old that you've got to be in education till you're 18. 
because they don't know what they're going to do. So they're just going to pick something. I mean, I've got a 16 year old at the moment, hasn't got a clue, picked what he thought would be the easiest course to do, you know. And that's just wasted money in, in, in a lot of people's opinions because he's just going to get that drop off at some point or choose it's not for him and go and find his way, you know, meander his way through. Um, but once you hit 19, that funding is no longer available. I can't help but feel that, you know, when people get to 16, there should be the option that you can either use your allowance now or you can bank it for later on. And then sort of, you know, maybe that that money could be used to help fund that first year of an apprenticeship or something like that. I don't know. There must be a way of mm-hmm. doing it. I mean, even when people go to uni, they obviously get these you know, low interest rate loans from the government, don't they? I think that's my yeah. understanding of it all. Why isn't that available for people looking to change career? You know, if, if, if you're 30 and you've got a mortgage and four kids and you want to change career, why isn't there a low interest rate loan that you could get that you could then pay back once you're qualified and earning a certain amount of money it would make it more feasible. I mean, there's so much that could be done to help these people. There really is. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, the student loan scheme definitely should be extended out to those for apprenticeships. It shouldn't be university only. I mean, I'm I'm not 100% au fait probably with those. I mean, I've had it myself where I went to uni for a very short time and then ended up paying a small amount off on a on a university loan but um but yeah no i think that's a, a very good idea well why not and also you could secure it against somebody's mortgage so that when they sell you know a percentage gets paid back and they wouldn't even notice it's gone then because it's all telephone numbers on the house sale um you know if you took five grand off of a house sale well it's, it's, it's nothing is it you know so it's quite easy to you know find ways to get that money back yeah, I mean, the rate of inflation nowadays on properties, you <laughs> claim it 10 times over. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously you, you've been in teaching, what is it, uh, three, four years now? I'm in my fourth year of teaching now. What do you think the future holds for the teaching sector? For myself or in general? Oh, we, could, we can do both. Well, for myself, I'm... I get, the way that we do it at our training provider is that each tutor teaches a year. So I, I teach first years, another tutor does second years, and another tutor does third years. So I teach the same lesson four days a week, which is which is great because then I can reflect on what went right, what went wrong, change it, and and continually improve my process. Um, and then you're not jumping from subject to subject. So because I've been doing that now for three years, I'm now into my fourth year. I've asked whether I can move into the second year now, learn all that content and then move into the third year in three, four years time. So I see myself at my training provider for at least, you know, another sort of nine, ten years. At which point, who knows, a management position might come up and then I'd, I'd like to move into that. But um, I'd like to go through the three years first, learn the whole you know, qualification back to front. Because I think, you know, um, in order to be able to be a manager, I think you need to understand the process and how it's all done and how the teaching happens, um, the pros and cons of each year. And in that way, you can support your staff better. Mm. No, no, I mean, it's uh, worthwhile development, isn't it, for yourself to understand each each year's criteria. It's, you know, you'd say the same if an apprentice jumped straight into a management role you know they wouldn't have that empathy for for what the the electrician or whoever's leading the project is going through 
Well, one of the biggest things I talk about with the apprentices is I say I've been where you are because they all complain about complain about their employers earning all this money and all that kind of stuff. And I say, look, I've been where you are. You think there's all this money happening, but I promise you that, you know, there may be lots of money coming in, but you're like this, literally handing it through. And by the time that you've paid everybody and you've paid the wholesalers and you've paid all the insurances that you have to have, and you're just literally looking at this tiny little bit of money that you've got left and thinking, is this really worth it? You know, um, so it, you, you've got to experience both sides of the fence. So I try to explain that to them um, so that they're aware of it, because obviously the grass is always greener on the other side, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I mean, I still feel like that now, and I'm sure everybody does. <laughs> um, so, what, what about the what about the teaching industry um, as a whole? Then, what do you think the future holds for teaching? Is 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 it remaining fairly constant? You know, obviously, probably summarising. I remember during during my journey, you know, I've seen it go from the chalkboard to the electronic in you know interface boards that you can kind of do now, where it's projectors and and all this sort of thing are you kind of moving with the times in terms of the content how you're applying all of this sort of thing in a classroom well I, I can't speak for the whole industry but again if all you're doing is death by powerpoint then something's wrong because I have, i've been in those rooms where someone's literally just reading off the powerpoint because they don't understand the the technical subject that they're talking about and and, and that's not good for anybody you know you switched off within about five minutes and you're staring out the window Again, with this qualification that I'm learning now, it just kind of reinforces everything that I've been doing. I try to put as much onto the apprentices as possible so that they sort of take control of their learning. And when they're in control, they learn more. And then they, my job is really just to lead the, lead them there and show them how to get there and, and just kind of point out what they need to do and help them to reflect and, and slowly build, build that up. So I can't speak for the whole industry, but, um, you know, I think... If people take the time and they read the books and they actually learn how to teach, um, because that's one of the things that shocked me as well, is that, you know, I could just do a three day petals course, which is preparing to teach in the lifelong sector. I think it's given a lot, uh, another name now. I think it's four days, actually, four day course. And then off you go. You can teach. Whereas I wanted more than that, because for me, that's like the domestic installer course. I wanted more than that, which is why I'm doing this level five. I want to understand the process. I want to understand the techniques and continually reflect on them. I mean, this Jeff Petty book that I've got um, on teaching today, I read a bit and I think, oh, that's great. And I go and do it. And then sometimes later, I just think oh, I'll have another look through that and I open up the book again and I see something that I was doing, didn't realise or I see something that I should be doing. And I think, you know what, I'm going to give that a go and you just continually improving. I mean, it's the same with the electricians on the tools. You know, there's so much CPD out there now and there's some fantastic content that if as long as you're keeping up to date with it, and learning new techniques you, you're continually moving forward it's people that don't move forward or learn stuff you know some of the apprentices that i talk to online because i've got a few facebook groups and stuff like that i don't know if you knew gary i've got a um, an am2 facebook page, a group um i've got a uk apprenticeships facebook group that i'm trying to help people find apprenticeship jobs in you know i talk to a lot of people through these through these channels and some of the horror stories I hear about them not having tutors for months, years, being dropped off the course. You know, it's, it's horrendous what some people are going through. And that's another reason why I'm so passionate about fixing the problems within the industry, because it's all well and good having these bodies tell you what they're doing right. But actually, you need to look at what you guys are doing wrong as well, because if if it had got better than when I was when I finished in 2004, these people wouldn't be going through the same problems that they are now. 
Mm, no, definitely. Do you find having those those sorts of groups keep you very much abreast of the industry then? Because obviously I'm aware if you step into the classroom environment, you're not necessarily on the coal face de- dealing with, you know, let's say the new technologies, the, the actual implication uh, or application of some of the, uh, let's say, AFDDs, for example, or SPDs. Um, yeah. It's a valid point, Gary, because, I mean, I've, I've, like I say, I've been off the tools for free in knowing my fourth year. And I've definitely noticed that because I'm, I'm not actually doing much work on the tools, I've started to see a bit of a disconnect with with what not so much what they're doing, because obviously I understand the principles and the concepts. But I can see that the longer I'm out of it, the, the worse it's going to be. Um, and also because I'm learning all this new stuff about teaching, your, your brain can only hold so much information. So I feel like I'm pouring in all this stuff about how to teach and how to be a good teacher. And all the other stuff is 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 ebbing away slowly. Mm. So, you know, they are they do provide me with a link to what's actually going on. And I guess I feel like I'm fighting for them. Yeah. Do you take that on the, the next step with that any of that information on their behalf at all or oh, all the time? Yeah, I mean, I complain to the people that know. I mean, I, I do videos um, on my YouTube channel. I've got a few in the pipeline that I've put together on, on problems that people are having within the industry. I mean, these, these, I was having a chat with somebody today, actually, that was, you know, after there was a lovely chat and they were saying, you know, we, we like some of the stuff you do. And we like we don't like some of the stuff you do, you know, and um, they told me what they liked. And they said, you know, the YouTube videos that you've got very educational, they're very good. They're a bit long. Uh, it's quite hard for people to watch for that amount of time. Um, but one of the things that they they said to me is that I come across as a bit angry and very, um, you know, sort of attacking of the industry, um, kind of a bit. Um, what's the word they used? A conspiracy theorist kind of thing. And um, obviously, now that they've spoken to me, they, they sort of feel a bit differently. But it's something that I've had to take on board and, and sort of think about how. I, um, I come across um, and, and you know what it's hard because when I did that that two three four six experience worker group that that final video that I put out and that was like the fifth edit because mm-hmm. the first one I was just looking into this qualification for myself and looking through it and getting more and more angry by what I was reading and the first video was just a pure rant and I shared it <laughs> with someone and, and, and he said you can't put that out because you're just ranting and you look awful so then you know, I, I, did, I did it. It must be I started about a year ago, I think. And, um, you know, the fifth edit, by that point, I'd calm down and try to go through it subjectively. But again, when you're making videos, you kind of got to get them out quick because, you know, a year that qualification could have changed and moved on. And then I'd have to start the video again or edit it. You know, so it's a, it's a difficult process, a, a hard balance. But again, even I need to reflect on, on um, you know, what I do right, what I do wrong try and improve no yeah definitely what so you you obviously got the youtube channel what was some of the reasoning for behind that just a, 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 another opportunity to share and and put things out there well that's that's how it started i mean I, I i just again because i feel like i had a lot of knowledge to get over um because there's a lot of techniques that you build up over the years and i'm a naturally reflective person i think about things um about how you know, I could do that better and improve on it. And um, so I feel like I had a lot of things to get over. So I started making videos when I was building my extension to try and show these techniques as, as, as I was doing them. But 
editing videos as you as you know yourself as well Gary you know editing videos and recording it and getting the camera angle right and the sound quality and I mean there's so much to take into account that my extension probably took twice as long as it should have done because of the time <laughs> it was taking me just to set everything up just to record a 30 second or a minute couple of minute video and people don't take that into account you know it's, it's all very good when you see the negative feedback on on uh, YouTube but the amount of hours that go into it um, so that's how it started. And then obviously when I started teaching as well, um, I was trying to help the students as well. But you'd be amazed. I, I would say maybe 90 percent of our learners don't even watch the videos. And I'm like, guys, I've done this for you. You know, I've done this to help you in your qualification. But, you know, they've got other agendas, other things that are more important, you know, like their clothes. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. their search engines finding something else <laughs> exactly but again it's a journey and, and again that's the beauty about making youtube videos is that content's there so they may not be ready now but at some point in their career they might think back and think Do you know what i'll watch that video now and then improve on their learning so you know i'm a great fan of, of the youtube videos and that content being there for people to learn because sometimes you don't pick it up first time round or second time round. You know, sometimes it's third, fourth, you know, some people take a while. Um, but, you know, with a video, you can just keep going over it and picking it up as and when. No, brilliant. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a quick summary, just kind of um, obviously plug the, the YouTube channel. What some of the topics you're covering there? Well, there's quite a bit. So, again, I'm trying to be all things to all people and do. I've got so much, so many ideas. I've got a whole list of videos that I would love to do. But. At the moment, I've got um, a Roots into the Industry playlist where I try to talk about some of the common problems that people experience coming into the industry. I mean, I've got a, a person at the moment now who um, they've done a level two EAL diploma, but they're being told that level three is, is no longer funded for them. So now they're being pushed into an apprenticeship, but they can't find a job. Um, and I'm saying, well, you know, this is trying to talk them through those problems, you know, and um, just things like that. So I've got um, um, Roots into the Industry playlist. I've got a sort of apprentices playlist, little tips, you know, not how to stand on joists, how to drill holes, that you know, how to second fix, that kind of stuff. Um, I've got an AM2 playlist where I sort of talk through the um, candidate for preparation pre-assessment manual from NET and try to talk about that. Because, again, when I was asked to do um, AM2 preparation training for our apprentices and just to be clear they're not training days all we're literally doing is just preparing them for assessment so I don't tell them anything they don't already know um, I'm just literally preparing them for what they're walking into so I didn't know where to start and so I started by looking at the pre-assessment manual because I figured if that's for apprentices then that's where to start so I just started talking through it and I thought well why don't I get that on video so that that's where that kind of came from and i've kind of built on that um i've got a inspection testing playlist that i've started it's not quite finished so i've sort of done dead testing how the, the tester works and i try to pick up fault finding in that inspection testing as well because obviously uh in inspection testing is fault finding you're trying to find faults in a system before you energize it so the two are intrinsically linked and i think that's probably about it i mean there's probably maybe a few other things in there mm -hmm. but and I also try to talk around problems within the industry. So, for instance, I was just saying about that City and Guilds um, experience worker route. You know, there's some gaping holes in that qualification that need to be addressed. Um, 
as well as the the qualifications themselves. Um, so I try to pick up industry topics as well, so that because it's all well and good relying on those in control to change it, but unless you point out what's wrong, they're not actively looking for it in my experience. Um, because again, if you take that experienced worker group, for example, I would like to think that all those people that were involved in bringing that to fruition would have sat down and done a SWOT analysis on it. You know, what's the strengths, what's the weaknesses, what, what can go wrong, what, what are the threats? But if it's when someone like me goes through it and then can instantly see all the problems, you're thinking, well, who, who decides this stuff? <laughs> yeah. Where's it coming from? So I'm trying to pick up that kind of stuff. So, you know, I've got I've got an AM2 video that I want to bring out to sort of talk around some of the problems that I see or hear from apprentices that go through it. Um, there's a few things like that that I'd like to get out there just to try and help industry move in the right direction. No, that's really good. So, yeah, anyone um, on YouTube, check out Adrian's channel. Same for the um, new domestic installer route that, you know, apprenticeship has come out. Um, I know that's all been pushed through now and, you know, rightly or wrongly, it's going to be here now to probably to stay. I'm looking forward to going through that apprenticeship, um, dissecting it, comparing it to other qualifications um, and, and seeing if it's an improvement or whether there's room for improvement. Um, you know, constructive criticism kind of thing. Um, and if it's good, then it's good. Same with this new, you know, apprenticeship that we've all been asked to comment on now to replace the um, the sort of standard four-year, you know, 48-month apprenticeship. I'm looking forward to going through that as well to sort of find out where the flaws are, where, where the problems are, and, and try and get them addressed so that, you know, people don't end up where they are. You know, like I said, all these people that I speak to that are having these problems, these aren't my problems, but, but they're the same problems that I've experienced. So, you know, whoever's in control isn't fixing the problem. It's like trying to build a house on unstable ground and then wondering why the house keeps falling down. But yeah, no. uh, it, it, it can, I suppose it's a bit of a dangerous game because you, you do end up in, like you said, kind of before into conspiracy theory territory don't you very quickly <laughs> i do yeah and it, it's a difficult balance but unfortunately no one else is doing it so what do you do someone someone's got to do it and if that's me then then, then that's me it's, that's the way it's got to be no fair, fair play so what do you what do you hope for in the future of the industry then or you know what do you think the future does hold rather than hope what do I think? Well, I think at the moment, anything's a possibility. I hope, fingers crossed, you know, we, there's some amazing things that are going to happen on the horizon. And, you know, we have to be open minded, hope that that's going to happen. Uh, and if it doesn't, then I'll be there to point it out, I guess. <laughs> Just hope that, that and hope that it isn't. But, you know, someone's got to do it. And, you know, I don't know. I'm one of those people, I kind of try to find the problems to then deal with the problems I've always been a bit like that you know I used to take things apart when I was a kid um why is it not working let's take it apart strip it down find the fault put it back together again so you know my parents are reminding me of some stereo system that I stripped down that's in the loft it's still in pieces I never put it back together again but I was convinced that I could fix it you know and uh, yeah then I've always been like that always been like that if there was one thing then that you could fix tomorrow for the industry what would that be oh gary that's a good question because there's so many things um oh, that's that's a that's a really good toss-up because i'm having to choose now between 
the education, the training of the actual qualifications itself and tightening up those those problems that I've sort of starting to highlight. Or it would be the competent person schemes. And I think it would have to be the competent person schemes, I think, because, you know, for me, and, and I'm talking to about all the ethical electricians out there right now, because there's a lot of good people in the industry that want to do a good job. And they're, they're, they've got their shoelaces tied for them by these competent person schemes. You know, they want to do a good job, but they're, they're, they're tripped up by everything around them and what's going on around them. And, you know, it can't be a very nice place to to be, um, because that was my one of my reasons for leaving was it wasn't. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? <sighs> Yeah, like a rich nutrient environment, you know, to grow in. Yeah. So I didn't feel that it was a very good environment for, for you know, for improving yourself. You was kind of being squashed down. You know, we all, they all talk about the race to the bottom and it is, it is a real thing. Um, but I feel that equally the public are let down by that fact, because exactly as I said about those those people that I try to report, they trust in the system. They trust in that we know what we're doing and that we're backed up by legislation and regulation and all this kind of stuff. And the fact of the matter is that we're not really backed up as well as we should be. And so the homeowner gets let down. And ultimately, they are the people like the learners who don't know any different. They're relying on the people that do know to lead them correctly. Um, get them to where they should be going, uh, to do safe installs, to keep their families safe and to do it for a realistic amount of money. Um, you know, I just yeah, I would love to change that. I would love to change it so that, you know, everybody wins. No, that sound, it sounds good. I would probably agree it would have the bigger impact quicker, I think, um, to have something like that change. The problem that you've got, though, Gary, is there's probably so many people already registered on those competent person schemes that don't fill that criteria or haven't had sufficient training what, what do you do with them the schemes can't turn around now and say oh i'm really sorry you you no longer meet our standard you've got to go back to college and retrain or you've got to change your business you know i, I guess they can't get involved in business models but i don't a know gr yeah a, gr a grading system maybe yeah. you know of you know i mean you've got the kind of the domestic installer um element of it i mean you could only enhance on that maybe but it's all theoretical isn't it but um well i don't think electricians should be able to qualify straight away and go out on their own i think they should stay i think apprentices should stay with a company for at least one to two years after they qualify to really you know cement those fundamental um principles and the the ksbs the um the knowledge the skills uh, the behaviors that they've been taught before they're allowed to enroll on a competent person scheme. I mean, the fact that I was allowed to enroll after three years and modules were missing, you know, and all this kind of stuff, that should never have happened. And I'll, I'll be completely honest with you, I will throw my hands up now that after three years of being at college and three years of being employed, and I was working, because obviously I didn't do an apprenticeship, I was working five days a week as an apprentice over those three years. When I went out on my own after those three years, I wasn't ready. I was testing people's houses and I wasn't fully competent in what I was doing. I mean, I remember failing one house because I was convinced that um, 100 meg ohms was too low. So I <laughs> put this house at 100 meg ohms and rewired it. And, and that wasn't 
because I, you know, I was trying to screw them out of money or anything like that. That was just pure ignorance because I hadn't been taught correctly at college. Um, uh, but I was enrolled in a scheme and I've done a kitchen fitters course and, you know, I'm out there trading and, you know, that, that shouldn't have happened. You know, I, I think at least one to two years after qualification, after a three year apprenticeship, uh, and then only then can you enroll on a competent person scheme. I think that would make a huge difference as well. No, I think that's a, a brilliant sentiment to um, to end the conversation on. I think um, anyone listening can take that advice um, and do what you want with it, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do have one last question for you, uh, which I ask of, of all my guests, and that's uh, what you what is your favourite movie? Oh, Jesus, do you know what? There's so many. Um, I mean, instantly, Shawshank Redemption is a quality film. Um I don't know, Green, um, Green Mart. I mean, there's loads of films. Um, you can have one. <laughs> I always try to think of it in a context of if you're going to be on like a desert island, you're given a DVD player, one DVD, you, you can only watch that for the rest of your life. What can you live with? That is probably one of the hardest questions I've ever been asked, Gary. Because, <laughs> I, I, you know, different movies have different points to them and you know sometimes I like a tearjerker um sometimes I like an action movie it all depends what kind of mood I'm in so ah well you're going to be in one mood forever so (laughs) that sounds sounds terrible I think I'd have to end that um I'll say Shawshank Redemption because that film is one of those films that I could watch again and again and again you know and and still enjoy it I think it's a brilliant film yeah, no, good choice. I think that may well be the probably the most picked that I've oh, had. Yeah, oh. I'm gonna have to go back and I'm gonna um, <laughs> I'm gonna see I'm gonna see which ones. Typically, I think it's it's getting narrowed down now into Star Wars, Shawshank. I think Green Mile may have come up a couple of times. Mm. So yeah, I think we're we're certainly starting to consolidate an electrician's list of movies that we all seem to enjoy. So yeah, no, uh, another good choice. So it's been a pleasure chatting with you. You know, thank you very much again for coming on and having a having a chat with me. Awesome, no problem, Gary. You take care. And uh, thank you everyone for listening.